Amen. Well, it is good to be with you again. And uh, uh, I was here about three years ago when we launched the partnership. I come from Bristol. I'm married to one wife. I've got three kids, 33, 29, and 27. Funny names, but we like them. And I've got uh, two, two grandchildren as well, which is hard to believe looking at me, isn't it? But okay, not enough surprise there. But uh, um, uh, I've, I've been in ministry for many, many years, over 30 years, church planting, pastoring churches. Uh, but in the last eight years, I've been working for Compassion, and uh, we're seeing many, many children uh, being released from poverty in Jesus' name. And thank you so much for being a part of that. If you have a Bible, just turn to Micah chapter 6, Micah chapter 6. And we did have such a good trip uh, to Kenya just before, and, and I don't know, there's maybe some plans for 21 or 22 uh, the, to take out another team, and so have a be, be thinking about that. It's a great opportunity to see God at work amongst some of the poorest people on the face of the earth, and your life will be changed forever as you see the, the difference that you're making. We had an amazing time. I've, uh, I, I didn't know that you were such a talented church. I mean, there was Joe, his singing skills, uh, beyond belief. I couldn't believe it. And uh, I mean, the way you hit those high notes that time, that was incredible. <laughs> we, we had uh, Roger's falling skills. That was brilliant, Roger. Amazing. I had a spectacular fall, you know. Uh, I couldn't replicate that. That was brilliant. Don't ever do it again, though, will you? <laughs> You were a pleasure on the team. And Chris's dancing skills, oh my goodness. Well, the, the list goes on, but uh, we had a great time together and we're a real team. So Micah chapter 6, verse 8 says this. He has showed you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Let's read that again, shall we? He has showed you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Father, speak to us again afresh today from your word we pray in Jesus' name, amen. I wonder what comes to mind when you think of the word poverty. You know, what is it? You know, I reckon if we went round the room, there'd be a, a whole load of different kind of uh, ideas about what poverty actually is. It's a, it's a lack of money, some will say, or it's a lack of shelter or clothing or clean water or nutritious food. Um, and it's all of those things, but, but from the poor's perspective, if you're living in it, from their perspective, it's a feeling of being disempowered. It's a feeling of being marginalized, on the edge. It's a feeling of, of having no voice and no option, no choice in life. Nothing that you can do to get out of the poverty that you're in. Like, it's like there's the line, and every time you try to cross it, something pulls you back. Uh, and there's no hope, you know, because hope has been stripped away. And, and I want to tell you, it's a lie of the enemy to keep people in poverty, whether it's in Africa or Asia or South America or other parts of the world, or whether it's here in Sidcup, it's a lie of the enemy that contains people and keeps them in a place where they can't break through and come into the fullness that God has for them. Uh, it's, a, it's no voice. It's, it's not being able to speak up. And, 
And and I thank God for the opportunity that we have to speak up for those who don't have a voice themselves. You see, the opposite to poverty isn't wealth. The opposite to poverty is justice. And so many people in our world uh, face injustice uh, at this time. And we need to be a people who, having received mercy, having received justice, know how to uh, be a people of justice as well. Let's read that verse again from Micah. He has showed you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. You know, as you look through Scripture, you see that God is a God of justice. Right from Genesis to Revelation, he's a God of justice. In Israel's history, he was the one who, who uh, uh, set up structures. He said, this is the way you need to live. If, if, if it's going to be fair, then there needs to be these kind of social structures in place that make sure that the poor among you are looked after and given rights. However, as, as time went on, God's people disobeyed the law. We were very good at doing that. They violated the law. They abused the law and they abused the poor. And that's why in Isaiah 58, God has to come to the so-called righteous, the so-called church of that time, and challenge them about their uh, lack of justice and their ac- exploitation of the poor. And, and God says this, you know, away with all your, your fasts and your ceremonies and your prayers. I'm not listening to you. Is not this the kind of fast that I've chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and, and to, to give food to the hungry and clothes to the naked and shelter to the homeless and not to turn the stranger away. And then your light will rise. Then your healing will come. And he says, you've got to get it into the right place. You know, you've got to understand my heart and uh, share with me in what I'm passionate about if you want to see the blessing of God come in your life. Now, rewind to the story of, of Ruth and Boaz right back there in the Old Testament. It's, it's just a short book. It's about four chapters long. It's a great story. If you've never read the story of Ruth in the Bible, it's an amazing story. Ruth is poor. Ruth is homeless. Ruth is widowed. And she's caring for an elderly relative that's not even a blood relative. And she's now finding herself in a land that is far away from home. But because of the the social justice laws, uh, she was able to glean some of the harvest from the corners and the edges of the field. You see, in uh, Deuteronomy chapter 24, God had stipulated this. When you gather your harvest, do not gather from the corners But leave it for the poor, the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow. In some version it says the alien. But all kinds of things come to mind when you say that. So so Ruth receives mercy. She she has that, that, that sense of being able to have something of the harvest. There's food that's been left for her. So she's not going to starve. She's found mercy. But not just that. Ruth goes on to find justice as well. Because the landowner, Boaz, the farmer there, he defends her cause and he redeems the land that rightfully belongs to her. But not just that, she finds love and relationship as well. I love the story of Ruth. It begins with 
poverty. It begins with lack. It begins with not enough. It begins with despondency and a lack of hope. But it ends with a glorious outcome. It's fantastic. But what is right in the middle, right in the middle of this story, is a redeemer. I wonder what your story is like today. Maybe you feel that you're in the place that Ruth was in, in a place of lack, in a place of not enough, in a place of, you know, uh, 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 no hope or no option and no kind of vision for life or whatever it may look like in terms of that spiritual poverty or physical poverty or uh, whatever uh, it may be. I wonder what it is for you, but I want to tell you that there is a glorious finish for you. But right in the middle, you need to meet a glorious saviour. You need to meet a redeemer who is Jesus Christ, the Lord. You know, uh, Boaz and Ruth became the great, 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 great grandparents and beyond that, because I can't say enough greats, of the Lord Jesus. So what we've just celebrated, maybe you're not a Christian, maybe you've just started coming to church. What we've just celebrated over the Christmas season is the birth of a saviour that was destined to come in the world. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, Jesus, that whoever believes in him should not die, but have everlasting in life. And it was foretold in the Old Testament before Jesus was even born, hundreds of years before. And there's all kinds of prophetic words pointing to that day. And, and, and here's Ruth and Boaz, you know, who were forerunners of Jesus, uh, ancestors of Jesus. And, and, uh, and we see Jesus in that relationship there. The Redeemer, Boaz, who is able to redeem Ruth and bring her into a bright new future, giving her a hope. Can I tell you that there is a saviour who is Christ the Lord. There is a redeemer for you today. If you don't know Jesus, give your life to Jesus today. Stop, stop messing about trying to work it all out and understand it all. Faith says, I'm going to take a step towards Jesus. And uh, I want to walk with him and, and understand him. Be sorry for the stuff that's gone on before and start again afresh Start a relationship with Jesus and, and there's a better day coming. It's not devoid of trouble. There's still problems. We face all of those things, but we've got someone who will walk with us and help us along the way. Come to Jesus today and find him at your point of need. So she finds mercy, she finds justice, and she finds love and relationship. You see, Boaz doesn't just share the corner of his field but he shares the corner of his cloak. It says that, uh, you know, at nighttime, she's cold. She's got no covering, and so she comes to where he is, and she says, spread the corner of your mantle, your cloak, over me, just to, to keep me warm. And he spreads a corner of his mantle over her, and um, uh, she's able to be warm, and she finds love and relationship with Boaz. Listen, church, the poor need a friend. The poor need a friend, someone to speak up for them, someone to defend their cause, someone to walk the journey with them, someone uh, who will stand with them and be a voice for them. And, and, and that's what we're talking about today, particularly in the area of children living in poverty. In a few minutes, I'm going to ask you, would you be willing to be a friend to the poor? Would you be willing to invest in a child, to share what you have, a corner of what you have, in order uh, that they might come to uh, a 
better place in life and come and find the Savior, the Redeemer. Extend that corner of who you are into their lives. So in Micah chapter 6, verse 8, he showed you, O man, what is good, what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly before your God. You see, what God wants is for our lives to be one of justice, a lifestyle of justice, not just random acts of kindness. I love random acts of kindness. I love those stories that you get on YouTube or on Facebook or Instagram or whatever. There's a, a random act of kindness of, and, and uh, you know, we put it on and everybody says, ah, oh, that's fantastic. It's heartwarming stuff. Everybody likes it. Some people love it. Some people put comments. Others tag other people and say, oh, you need to watch this because it's so lovely. You know, I love random acts of kindness. But listen, don't just look for the random acts of kindness Live a lifestyle of justice and kindness and mercy. That's what God is looking for. You see, as you look at God's instruction here, you can only really act justly if you are walking humbly. So you can only do the first part of the verse if you're doing the last part of the verse. You can only act justly if you're, uh, if you're walking humbly before your God. You see, when you walk in humility, it means that you leave pride behind, yeah? And your attitude to other people is one of love and grace and a recognition that I'm not better, that I'm not more important, that I'm not more valuable or entitled than anyone else. If you've come with a sense of importance today about who you are, what you've achieved, what your role is, what your, uh, your achievements are, what your position is, do you know, you stand equal at the foot of the cross of Jesus. And he doesn't care what you've done. All of that, even our righteousness is like rubbish, the Bible says. You know, it's about his grace. And we all need his grace, whether we're rich or poor, male or female, whether we've traveled far or never been out of sick cup, or whether we've achieved much or we feel like we've failed miserably, we all need the grace of God. Once you have that revelation, it will cause us to live a justice lifestyle because you'll not be able to help but get angry about the way people are treated or marginalized because of their postcode or because of their color or because of their circumstances or their condition. Instead, it will cause you to react uh, with mercy and respond with mercy and grace and kindness. We need to recognize that we all need this redeemer in our lives. We all need this grace in our lives. That we're not more entitled than other people because of where we live or, or what we have. Everybody needs something of justice. Everybody needs something of mercy. Let me just share a personal story where, where God had to teach me something about this. When we went to, to Kenya, I was celebrating the 30 years since I first went to Africa. And uh, over that time, I've traveled extensively. I've been to many African countries and other parts of the world. And, uh, and, and I love Africa. There's something of my heart in Africa. And uh, I, I went, the very first time I went was in 1988. 
and uh, I went to Zambia and uh, I was a young pastor and I was going to go and change Africa. I was going to go and see people saved and change a nation, move over Reinhard Bonnke. And, uh, you know, it was, uh, it was all down to me. But uh, we went out as a mission team and the pastor of this church said, we need to go to a hospital. We're going to uh, go and pray for the sick. And, and uh, so I thought, yeah, come on, we're going to see miracles. We're going to raise the dead. This is going to be amazing. There's going to be anybody in the hospital after we've left and uh, it's going to be wonderful so we went to this hospital and it was very different to the hospitals that maybe you're used to it, it lacked resources the hygiene was very poor there was not good sanitation the smell was horrible and I immediately felt out of my depth suddenly question marks started coming up and I thought can I really handle this and and I was way out of my comfort zone and and as we went around praying for the sick I kind of was quite excited and I got involved in some of the things and and uh, I was happy to pray but there were some things I didn't want to get too close okay and there was some kind of things rising up within me that thought, no, you know, I'll just let these guys do it. You know, they know the language and, you know, they're, they're better. They'll, they'll, they'll communicate better. But you know what? God was about to do something in me uh, that would actually have a massive impact even on what I'm doing today. You see, we came into a small side room and there, lying on a very thin, soiled mattress, was a guy whose body was absolutely wasted away. The root cause was HIV AIDS. And when I heard what was wrong, I didn't just recoil physically, but I recoiled kind of in every other way as well. And I'm not proud to say this, but I was judgmental. There was disgust. There was disapproval and fear rose up in me. You know, we're always afraid of the things that we, we don't really understand. And, and, and I'd heard so much about AIDS and, and uh, how it was contracted and all of these things. And, and uh, you know, this, this kind of pharisaical kind of spirit rose up within me and disapproving and judgmental and angry and thinking, God, you need to deal with this person. And, and you are. And you see, it was 1988. AIDS was prevalent. And we were hearing a lot about it, not just in Africa, but globally, in, across our nation as well. And we didn't really understand it. And there was a lot of fear surrounding it. Uh, was it an airborne disease? Was it communicable by touch? Was it just amongst the homosexual communi community? And, and as these thoughts are going through my mind, the pastor from the church said to me, we need to change this man's sheets he said, Pastor Tim, can you come and lift him up? Now, I'm hiding just outside of the room at this point. And uh, they all looked at me, and I thought, there's nothing I can do. I, I, I have to be a part of, of what's going on here. And, and uh, uh, it, it meant that I had to touch this guy. It meant that, uh, you know, uh, I had to get close. And, and everything in me screamed no I I didn't want to do it I didn't want to uh, you know uh, uh, be anywhere in that room at all but God was giving me an opportunity to discover his heart of compassion I understand why now now at that time everyone was wearing wristbands okay and they had WWJD on there do you remember that I used to think that was stood for who was Jason Donovan but apparently it stood for, you know, what would Jesus do? And, and I started to have this kind of wrestle 
with God, you know, what would Jesus do? And I began to think about, you know, the blind and the lame and the crippled and, and, and the lepers, you know, uh, and, and how Jesus, when everybody else was moving to the other side of the road as they heard the tinkling of the bell and uh, they... Uh, Jesus was right there and he was ministering to the leper and he was touching the leper and he was involved because he had compassion on all that he met. And suddenly I was consumed with his compassion. God began to deal with my heart of judgmentalism and disapproval and disgust and all of this. And, and I realized I was no better than this man. You know, I needed a redeemer. I needed somebody to touch my life as well. And as I lifted this man up, and he was a fully grown man, but there was just body was wasted away, and I lifted him up, and it wasn't pleasant. But he said this to me. He said, God must love me very much because he sent somebody from another country to pray for me. Wow, that messed me up a bit. God must love me very much. And I had to spend time with God after that, just repenting of my attitude. Was I afraid? Of course I was. I still went and scrubbed my hands raw afterwards, not that that would have necessarily made any difference, but, but now I understood the lengths that God will go to break our hearts for the lost and for the dying and the despised and the unlovely. You see, church, we've got to understand that God is a God of compassion. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, it says, slow to anger, abounding in love. And yet, here I was, quick to anger and disapproval. God, forgive me. Forgive us from those times that we set ourselves up above other people and that pride rises up and we think that we're better than others. But actually, we all need that Redeemer. God wants us to be a people of compassion, a people of justice, a people of mercy. You know, the fact that we have received justice and mercy and grace in our own lives should not just create a, a sense of desire to extend that to others, but give us a responsibility to do that as well. You see, we're called to demonstrate God's heart here on the earth. Jesus said this, freely you have received, now freely give. I believe that the word compassion gathers all these kind of other words together, grace and mercy and justice and righteousness and all of these things. And, but, but let's just look at what uh, the word justice is. I'm just looking at my watch because I've got to go off to Eltham in a minute, okay? So um, keep an eye on that. Throw something up. Not too hard, though. But uh, uh, So I think compassion gathers all these other words together. So uh, the word compassion is used 12 times in the New Testament. Once in describing the Good Samaritan's response, I spoke about the Good Samaritan last time I was here, and twice in referring to God's compassion, and then nine are attributable to how Jesus operated. Now, the word translated in the original Greek is a fantastic word. It's called splagnitsomai. I love it. Anybody can, can spell it? No, okay. But listen, I know you're dying to say it, so just turn to your neighbor and say, Splagnitsamai. Go on, Splagnitsamai. Enjoy that, Splagnitsamai. You can say it twice. Splagnitsamai. It's a great word, isn't it? And uh, when you understand the meaning of that word, it's very, very special. You see, Splagnitsamai means to be moved in the bowels. 
Now, occasionally, I have a movement in the bowels, but you don't want to know about that this morning. We're moved in the bowels, and uh, the bowels, you see, were deemed to be the source of love and pity. You see, the bowels or the intestines seem to be quite a graphic word, don't they, in describing God's compassion. But it's almost like a saying of someone who did something brave, that took guts. It came from here. And God's compassion comes from deep within, okay? Uh, Compassion is much more than pity. See, pity can move your heart just for a moment or two. You can watch a a VT on, uh, you know, comic relief or something like that. It will cause pity to rise up. But then suddenly, you know, it's forgotten because you move on to the next program or the next feature or whatever. Pity lasts for a moment. But... But, uh, but compassion goes deeper. Compassion put hands and feet on pity and actually does something about it. That's what the, the Good Samaritan did. It says that he went to him and he showed that compassion. He had compassion upon him and he, you know, gave him, uh, bathed his wounds and uh, gave him wine and poured on oil and then took him on his donkey to an inn and looked after him, paid the cost for that man to be totally restored, okay? Now, with this word compassion, if you break down the word compassion, you've got two words. You have com and you have passion, and it refers to the passion of Jesus. The anguish, you know, that that week leading up to his death and his sacrifice, all that he went through in the Garden of Gethsemane as he came to, uh, you know, to the courtyard uh, where he was whipped and beaten and the crown of thorns and, and carrying the cross and then being nailed to the cross and being uh, put upon that cross and then hanging there uh, and uh, bleeding and dying. This is the passion of Jesus, okay? It, it's the anguish, it's the sorrow, the pain. The brokenness that Jesus went through. And when you accompany the word com, which means with, it means with passion. It means that when you have compassion, you are sharing with Jesus in his sufferings. You're sharing with Jesus in his sufferings. It means that you are moved to act. And it brings together justice and it brings together mercy and grace and love. That is compassion. If you've never really understood what Jesus did for you on the cross, that's what he did. And he bore the price of your sin and my sin, the wrong stuff, the selfish stuff. He took it all upon him and he paid the price. Even his father had to turn away. But he paid the price so that we could find a redeemer who would redeem our lives from the pit, it says, and bring us back into relationship with God. Amen. You see, when Jesus sees the broken and the last and the least and the lost, he has compassion. Can I tell you today that 17,000 children will die of easily preventable causes? They don't have an ambulance with a siren rushing to help them when they have a problem. You know, if they can't get to the health center or if they haven't got the medication, they can die of easily preventable causes. 800 million people will go to bed hungry tonight, will lack access to safe, clean water. 2.4 billion people lack uh, a safe place to go to the toilet in dignity. 
130 million girls alone tomorrow won't be in school because they're denied that opportunity because they're required to work, maybe to walk five kilometers twice a day to go and get water from a filthy source that is not helping their family at all, but, but plunging them down into even greater depths of ill health. People trafficked around our world today. All cut, the list goes on, sexual exploitation. And when Jesus sees this, he has compassion. And he wants us to share in that too. It's so easy in the Western world, in our consumer society, to get so wrapped up with the, the comforts that our society offer, and yet not to think of, of what's going on in other people's worlds. Church, we need his compassion flowing through our lives so that when we see broken humanity, it causes us to respond rather than to retreat, to open our eyes in faith rather than to close our eyes in fear. Archbishop Desmond Tutu said this, to be neutral in a situation of injustice is to have chosen sides already. Wow. To be neutral in a situation of injustice is to have chosen sides already. We've got to speak up. We've got to uh, make a noise. In Jeremiah 22, 15 to 16, it says of King Josiah this, that he did what was right and just. So all went well with him. He defended the cause of the poor and the needy, so all went well. And then it goes on to say this, and this is a, an important part of the verse, and it's, it's a, a verse that I've hung much of my ministry on over the years. God goes on to say, is that not what it means to know me, says the Lord? Is that not what it means to know me, says the Lord? To do what is right and just, to defend the cause of the poor and the needy. We used to sing a song Quite a few years ago, if you've been around the kingdom for many years, you'll remember this. The greatest thing in all my life is knowing you. Okay, nobody knew that, so I'm the oldest here, mate. <laughs> the greatest thing in all my life is loving you. The greatest thing in all my life is serving you, we'd sing. I want to know you more. I want to know you more. The greatest thing in all my life is knowing you. And, and, and maybe that's the cry of your heart. God, I want to know you more. And God says, you want to know me? Come with me to the, to the slums of Mathari Valley, because that's where I am. Come with me to the, uh, the, 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 the lower places of Kent where uh, the economy isn't so strong, where people are struggling. That's where I am, because he, he says, I make my home with the poor and the needy. You know, I, I've never experienced the presence of God so much as, as when I'm in a, a slum situation or in the home of somebody who is desperately kind of, uh, you know, facing injustice. That's where Jesus is. That's where he says, I'll, I'll make my home with them. And he comes into their neighborhood and, and he, he uh, stands with them in that place. And, and when, you, when you come, when you're in a, a, a child's home and you see the desperate circumstances that they face and you minister to that family, suddenly the presence of Jesus comes in a way that perhaps you've never experienced before. If you want to know Jesus, is that not what it means to know me? Then get involved with those who face injustice. So today, will you share a corner of what you have? Will you share a corner of, more importantly, who you are? Will you share something of the much that you have received and use it to bring 
a hope and a future to someone who most likely will turn it around and, and bring about hope and a future for somebody else. You know, uh, many of our young people who go through the program and can uh, graduate the program are now in positions of authority. We have all kinds of people in uh, high positions. I think of Bougen in Haiti, who is an MP standing for truth and righteousness in a corrupt government. I was there just last year and, and we had dinner with another young guy who's in his second year of political science. I said, what's, what's your vision? He said, I want to be the president of Haiti. I said, you'll have to get in line to Bougen because he's already there and on his way. He said, no, he can move over. I'm, I'm going to be the president. You see, we've got lawyers and doctors and engineers. Who knows what these precious kids will, will uh, one day become? Wambui and, and Emmanuel and all these other children on the back table. You know, uh, uh, people who will change their environment and their community because somebody else said, I want to invest in you. We can make a difference and, and have a lasting legacy into the generations to come. Will you share a corner of what you have and who you are? Maybe the worship team can just come back now and, and maybe we could just stand together in the presence of God. I just want us to pray together. <coughs> and just to seal this, this word in our hearts this morning. And if you're happy to do this, don't, don't feel obliged to do it at all. But if you're happy as we pray, would you just reach out your hand and, and lay it on your head? If you're happy to do that, there's no problem if not. And let's just pray, God, renew our minds today. Renew our minds. Lord, we want to be transformed by the renewing of our minds we confess that our world tends to fog things up and take us off and distract us renew our minds we want to think as you think not as the world thinks oh god give us a fresh revelation of who you are and of who we are and the value of others lord i pray Thank you, God. Maybe just lay your hand on your heart. Oh, God. Father, would you break our hearts for what breaks yours? Everything I am for your kingdom cause. Enlarge our hearts, enlarge the capacity to love, to show kindness and mercy generosity pray that we as your people will not be small of heart and only thinking of ourselves but recognizing we're here for others break our hearts God help us to share with you in your passion to suffer with you you said if you want to share in my glory you need to share in my sufferings oh God Take these hands, maybe just lift your hands. Take these hands, use them to reach out and bring healing to comfort, to hug, to write a letter, to hold the hands of the poor, and whether they're in Africa or whether they're in our community, and connect them with the hands of Jesus. 
Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. I just want to pray for anyone here right now. It feels like that, you know, your circumstances may be different to Ruth, but you're on that journey. I want to tell you that there's a better future for you, but it's found in Jesus. You need to come to that place where you find the Redeemer because He can redeem your life. We'd love to share with you about that and pray with you afterwards and help you to find Jesus for yourself. But Lord, I recognize there are folks here today that are just struggling with all kinds of issues of life. Fears, concerns, anxieties, things that are weighing on their minds and mental health right now. Physical problems, Lord. Financial worries, relational issues. Oh God. Oh God. Thank you. Thank you that you're leading them. You're guiding them to the place of harvest. Place where they can find a, a corner. Just a corner. Because there's more to come. Lord, reveal yourself, the Redeemer. Thank you that the Redeemer says to you today in the situation that you're in, rise up, rise up. I'm taking your hand and I'm causing you to rise up. That sense of self-worth and belief in yourself once again. Come on, rise up in confidence today. There's a Father in heaven who loves you and he's lifting you up. And, and the word says, David says this, you stoop down to make me great. And that word stoop means grace. You grace down. You grace down God's unmerited favor. He graces down into your life and he lifts you up. He lifts you up. Come on, rise up in confidence. Come back into that place of stability and, and peace and joy. Find him today. And then he wants you to rise up into positions of influence and strength and making a difference as well. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Whatever it is that you need to do today, respond to the Holy Spirit. If you need to sponsor a child, come and see us at the table afterwards and invest in a child. Talk to somebody, pray with somebody today, uh, but don't stay in the place that you're at. Make that decision. I'm going to change from where I am right now into becoming more like Jesus. We bless you. Thank you, Father. Amen.